it really comes down to if you're limited on time, then, all right, I got Saturday and Sunday off and per DeerCast, Saturday shows okay and Sunday shows great. So DeerCast is picking up something in that person's area because it's it's analyzing 13 different weather variables as well as the 13 different phases on an hour by hour basis in their neck of the woods. So DeerCast has picked something up that it really likes. Okay. So if I'm that person and I have two days to hunt, the okay day, I'm still going to. This segment of DOD TV is brought to you by Leopold, American to the core. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Dury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast. It's powered by DeerCast, and I am Tim Chelsnick. I'm Matt Drury, and we got Mark Drury on, and we got all three of us in three different locations today. Yeah, I got a sick kiddo, so I am broadcasting from the downstairs studio at my place, and so we are in our satellite DeerCast studio. There you go. <laughs> and I'm in my satellite DeerCast studio at the farm. So. Which is satellites. a permanent place for you. It's especially from here on, basically to the end of the season. That is the hub for Mark. <laughs> Essentially, I mean, we kind of uh, kicked off the season yesterday. And yesterday was our first card pull. So we looked at a few of them, but the bulk of them we still have to look at. And uh, I got a text from... Wade and Perry, because we worked on that all day yesterday and then then went and joined uh, Dustin Lynch for his concert in Des Moines. And they were texting me today. They were like, hey, you're not looking through those cards, are you? I go, no way, man. I'll wait for you guys. I'm not going <laughs> to do that to you. So so you guys have a little uh, uh, like a viewing party, right? <laughs> Generally, because it, it essentially lays your season out right in front of you right mm-hmm. there. Like, you, you know, you see what what grew and what didn't. And we're, we have so many plots that are kind of hidden and hard to get to. We don't do a lot of velvet scouting. Essentially. We just let the analogic supplement gold bring them in front of the cameras and then view it all and see what the inventory looks like and what the season might hold. And then, then you start going, Oh wow, he blew. There's our number one targets, you know, and then you start putting plans together based on previous trail history for those particular target bugs. Hmm. Well then by the time I see you this weekend, I expect see some new pictures basically for sure well hopefully if we we get through and we've still got some projects on the farm but we're gonna we'll find time i can promise (laughs) yeah i can imagine them by then certainly yeah do you guys ever feel a little bad because there are more pictures of animals on your phone than your family no (laughs) asking for a friend yeah um I try to balance it out. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's a lie. <laughs> I keep them in files, right? So I delete them out of my main and then I have them in files. So okay, it still looks pretty good if you just go to my. <laughs> I well, will say, Mark, when you ask him for a picture, it does not take him long. Like he just all of a sudden he gets the phone up and kind of puts some glasses up like this. And then he just, (laughs) boom, he's got, it could be from four years ago and he'll have it. He's very organized on his cell phone. (laughs) Gotta be, gotta be analytical about everything. Well, I, I know we've got a lot of people watching the show this time around because as people join the hundred percent wild, uh, podcast crew, Facebook group, in the questions in like the entry questions, we always ask them what's their favorite thing about uh, the podcast. And like probably seven out of 10 say when Mark and Terry are on. 
I think the rest of them feel like they kind of got bait and switched. <laughs> it's like it was the Drury Outdoors podcast. Where's Mark and Terry? <laughs> well, right. we have a Drury on it. <laughs> so who are these clowns? Jokes on you. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. So, so I, I know, like, we got some shout outs to get through, um, but I know that we want to talk a little bit about, like, Mark's going to peel back the layers a little bit on DeerCast and help people understand, like, what really goes into the most advanced deer hunting app that's on the market right now and help people understand a little bit what's behind it and how to get the most out of it. Like we, we talk about this all the time. We, we, we want to help hunters get better at what they do. And there's a lot of educational aspects to deer cats that I think kind of get overlooked. And it's not just a, should you hunt or shouldn't you hunt? But it's here's why. Here's what the factors are at play for that particular time in your particular neck of the woods. And here's what Mark and Terry have learned over their combined 70 years of deer hunting uh, as to why that matters. So it's really an education. So I think we're going to dig into how deer cast can kind of supercharge the knowledge that you already have as a whitetail hunter and not just a simple yes hunt or no hunt. I think it'll be a good exercise. Uh, to hear your guys' thoughts as well now that we're four years into this thing. And, you know, when we first talked about it, like it was Terry and I talking that lingo. And now I hear you guys talk that as well. And I hear more and more people talk about, you know, analyzing movement as it pertains to certain factors within the weather. So hopefully we're doing our job from an educational standpoint. And I think that's why you guys wanted to really dive into this podcast, because when we first came out with it, we had a lot of these talking points. And since then, Maybe we've gotten a little lax on that. And in reality, the algorithm keeps getting stronger because now we have hindsight as foresight. You know, we actually get to look at what the algorithm was spitting out as a prediction. And then little bitty things that occur during the season, we're like, you know what? We could tweak this. We could tweak that. If, if they saw the dashboard, Matt, that we were able to tweak and fine tune this algorithm, they would further understand just how complicated the algorithm is. It's amazing what all goes into it. No doubt. And you know, it's this kind of the secret sauce for us. So it's, it's a KFC recipe or the Coca-Cola recipe. So it's, it stays kind of behind the scenes, but the reality of it is, is that we do continue to try to improve it. It's pretty dang close, but there might be a little something, you know, oh, we noticed that, you know, that, um, I don't know what, whatever you might choose, whichever variable it's, it actually needs to be tweaked instead of nine mile an hour, maybe it's 11 mile an hour, you know, and wind speed or those types of small things are the things that are now being tweaked. Like year one, pretty dang close. Now year four, I mean, it's, it's little bitty incremental type changes that we're making to it to continue to try to improve it. And it does make a difference. So yeah, I look forward to jumping into it. It does make a difference. Certainly. Beyond that though, I think, uh, we're also going to talk about the teardrop heartbreaker story that is just launched on the jury outdoors, YouTube channel and deer cast and, and on our social feeds. And man, this one, I, you sent me a, a proof of it early on after you guys had it pretty close. And it was, I actually just said it in deer cast today. I love, I hate it for whoever the heartbreaker story is about because it's inevitably it was a bad ending, <laughs> a heartbreaking ending. But these stories are so incredible, man. This deer is a giant, just a giant animal. He was, he, you know, he ended up going, we, we guessed him. I remember when we first got those pictures, I think Austin was in town at that time. And 
I sent the best pictures to everybody. I go, give me your guesses. And we were all between about 204 and 209, as I recall. And I'm like, this deer's definitely a 200-inch deer. And he ended up, it would have been like a 214 or so. And I'm not going to spoil the, the the overall story. But, I mean, it's a giant, giant deer. And it is a heartbreaker. And you you hate the ending that, that occurred. But it uh, it's the way it happened. But the roller coaster ride leading up to that, is is one it you know go down in the annals of jury outdoors history really i mean it's uh it's pretty cool it was wade robinson was so close to killing a buck of a lifetime it's not even funny i mean i'm talking fate you you've just got to see it to believe what that deer did to poor Wade. yeah that specifically was the part that you just get really sucked into it and you're just like ugh. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine if this was me in these shoes, you know, and you're there with him and Perry's there with him. It's like everything was lined up, but we'll we'll dive into it a little bit here, uh, a little bit further here in a minute. So Tim, uh, go ahead and take the shout outs away, buddy. Yeah. So we got Shane Peck 15 over on Apple podcasts and we love to get reviews on Apple podcasts. So Shane, thank you. He says, love the podcast. Hey guys, you always put on a great show. I enjoy anytime old man winter and Mark are on the show. It's nice to have a go-to outdoor show that airs every week when we only get 13 critical mass and boat madness for a short time of the year. P.S. If there's a PhD for soundboard controls, I would I would have to think Matt would qualify for an honorary doctorate. However, this would definitely increase his use of the this is a house of learned doctors soundboard plug, which may or may not be productive. This is a house of learned doctors. I think it would be very productive. That's your wish. Hey, thanks, Shane. I think Shane's a great guy. I think Shane deserves to be a DeerCast Elite subscriber. At the very least, I think Shane might become my new best friend. Thank you, Shane. All right. (laughs) On to the next one. We got Brad Odom and DeerCast talking about Dave Kramer episode. Brad, he he is definitely up there in the DeerCast elite. He, since day one, has been one of our number one uh, commenters in there. We always appreciate it. Thank you, Brad. He says, great podcast, guys. Dave is a great man that shows his passion for the outdoors. There's all kinds of tricks you can learn from these guys harvesting mature deer. You just have to listen. I want to thank Dave for being on the podcast and can't wait to see who's next. Everyone, be safe and God bless. He nailed it because Dave Dave was fantastic on that podcast. And that, that was kind of the point in, in having all these Drury Outdoors guys jump on. I think it kind of gets lost sometimes just how effective they are because they are so effective. You kind of just take it for granted that, oh, the Drury guy, you know, one of the team guys killed another big deer. Well, most of these guys are blue collar with smaller pieces. They're doing all the work themselves. It's not like they're going to a bunch of outfitters. They have a bunch of land and that's kind of the misnomer out there. And, and I thought it would be great to highlight these guys on the podcast and, and uh, let them kind of share some of the tips and tricks that they learned over the years. And Dave's got a bunch of them. We've got uh, Caleb Byers and Brandon Jennings coming up on upcoming episodes. So be sure to stay tuned. Like if you like the tips and tricks and the strategy kind of talk, then definitely stay tuned for upcoming weeks uh, episodes. There's some more good stuff coming. You you know, the other nice thing about it is you get to see the guy behind the hunts, you know, and you take a guy like Dave Kramer. I mean, you could trust your, 
your last dollar with that guy. You know, I mean, he's literally one of the finest human beings you will ever meet. And, and most of the team is that way. And I, I'm glad, so glad you guys are doing more and more of this because a, a they're incredible people B they're mm-hmm. incredible hunters and, and everybody's going to be able to learn about, learn from these guys, not only from a hunting standpoint, but just how to, how to interact with people and treat others. And it's amazing what, uh, what a, what an incredibly talented yet unbelievably a nice team we have at Dre Outdoors. Those guys are some of our best friends. Absolutely. So we look forward to continuing to extend this part of the the podcast and and talking to these guys. And we got some really good episodes coming up. And we actually this weekend are we have a, a digital summit here in St. Louis with some of our team members. And so we're going to film a couple more episodes uh, in person with a few guys on Friday. So look forward to that and continuing to pump out some good episodes. Awesome, man. That's great. And we'll keep underwhelming our team members when they hop on our show. <laughs> oh, we have a podcast? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, Brandon was definitely, <laughs> he definitely uh, was surprised at just what level of podcast this was. <laughs> that was the pumpkin syndrome. Yeah, that's podcast. the one where we turned out we were crying on it because we were laughing at each other so hard. So. <laughs> Definitely one you want to watch. <laughs> All right. So I want to jump, uh, jump into this and, um, and I'll kind of preface it with, you know, I, as we internally talk about DeerCast and, and, you know, Hey, the new year, what new features we might have or new improvements and, and even just talking with the team about how we can communicate these things, you know, it, it becomes more evident to Tim and I and the guys here in the studio uh, to Mark's point, point earlier, it's like we had all these great points to, and talking points at the beginning to help explain what DeerCast was, but I think we've lost sight of it because it's so easy to say, hey, today DeerCast said great, I went out there, but it's so much more than that. I want to get to you know uh, the next level of, of kind of a, a teaching uh, uh, standpoint and saying, okay, here's what all the app can do. Here's why it can do that. And then you go and use it to, to your benefit as far as how it directly relates to you and your property, because I, I really do believe it can fit anybody's property. And, uh, Tim and myself would be a great case case in point, Tim, you know, hunting a lot of suburban areas, a lot of small, smaller wooded areas, um, um, you know, not hunting over the big food plots necessarily. Uh, in my uh, case, you know, hunting a lease where the farmer, you know, kind of does his thing and, you know, we have cattle in there and I don't really have any control. I think everybody's their first kind of thought is, well, it works for Mark and Terry's place, but how does it work for mine? And that's what I'd like to kind of dive into today. Sure. But where do you want to start guys? Tim, do you well, got, go ahead. Yeah. Well, the, the kind of in general, yeah. Yeah. We, we definitely hear a lot that, that, well, that's, that works on, on Mark and Terry's properties. They manage like no other. And so of course they're going to be, their deer are going to move differently than anywhere else. So that that's one factor, but just the other factor of like, um, people, you know, most people have a very limited amount of time to hunt and they say, well, I'm going to hunt regardless. If I got Saturday off, whether a deer cast says bad or great, I'm going to hunt. So I don't need an app to tell me when to hunt. I'm only going to hunt when I have time off. So within that kind of how can deer cast help a person that has very finite time off? 
Well, certainly, I, I think it it really comes down to if you're limited on time, then all right, I got Saturday and Sunday off, and per Deercast, Saturday shows okay, and Sunday shows great. So Deercast is picking up something in that person's area because it's it's analyzing 13 different weather variables as well as the 13 different phases on an hour by hour basis in their neck of the woods. So Deercast has picked something up that it really likes, okay? So if I'm that person and I have two days to hunt, the okay day, I'm still gonna hunt, but I'm gonna be very careful about where I go, anticipating that tomorrow might be a little bit better, and therefore I'm going to choose in my mind what is the best opportunity for me to kill a deer for that day, as opposed to going in Saturday and potentially blowing that area out and then it not being so great on Sunday. Uh, now, if you're very limited on spots and you have to hunt the same stand two days in a row, then maybe you sit out Saturday and you wait for Sunday. So it can help you make decisions along the lines of, yes, I want to hunt every day that I can, but can I be a little bit more wise with my time just by using some of those predictors? Now, if it says great both days, get after it, hunt all you can. If it says poor both days, I'd probably pick a spot a little bit on the outskirts, maybe try to kill a doe, something like that and not do something that's going to affect my overall hunting uh, success later in the season. Because one thing we all know, deer season is a marathon, it's not a sprint. So sometimes decisions you make, even weekends apart, can still affect your overall luck the following weekend if you make mistakes on this weekend. So it's decision-making like that that I think DeerCast can really aid the guy that has limited time. I'll refute just a little bit with some of the comments that you guys have brought to my attention about, and I've heard them too. Well, it only works on Mark and Terry's farms. Well, I that, maybe that used to be the case when I had one giant farm in Iowa. I haven't owned a giant farm in Iowa since 19 or no, since 2007. You know, I sold my large farm then and I bought several smaller satellite farms. In fact, I think seven or eight of the farms that I hunt on an annual basis are 80 acre parcels. I have another one that is a 50. I have another one that is a 41 and a half. So I'm hunting small par small parcels with a lot of different neighbors that have really good tactics and they're trying to kill the same deer that we are. I'm assuming they are. So we have to be very smart about how we go in and, and attack uh, any given target buck, at least the plan to go in there and try and take that deer. So, uh, you know, they could say all that that they want, but that teardrop story all occurred on an 80-acre parcel that was brand new last year. Uh, I had some knowledge of the deer from the previous year because I had some cameras there the previous year, uh, late in the year. But I ended up purchasing the farm in the off season, and we went in. We were like, "There's a giant here. We've got to, we've got to, you know, make a plan for him." In fact, there were two giants there. So that was a brand new 80-acre parcel, and Deercast was spot on. We had never been on it before, and yet the the forecast predictor was spot on, and it's like that that way in Missouri on our small parcels. It's that way in Texas where we hunt. It's that way in, in Iowa where we hunt, and if it's off just a little bit, I go to my custom tab, and I try to customize the prediction based on what I'm seeing out there in the field. So uh, there's no doubt about it that weather affects deer movement. We have a very advanced formula within the algorithm as it pertains to the 13 weather variables and then the 13 different phases and how those weather variables change the deer's behavior within those 13 different phases. And it's it's a secret recipe, like Matt, like said. Matt said. It's very, it's complicated. very complicated. Even when Terry and I sit down now and look at the algorithm on a board and refresh ourselves on, on a very uh, consistent basis, sometimes we get a little bit mind numb 
over some of the things that we have in there. We have to refresh our memory because the way that we used to predict gear movement, which was looking at all 13 on a daily basis and three hours later going, yeah, I think they're going to move today. Now the algorithm does that for us. So it makes us a little bit lazy. And sometimes when you've got the cheat sheet, you're not very good with your homework. So we have to make sure that we stay up on top of it, but we've got her tweaked out really well right now. And I, I have a lot of faith that it, it can produce no matter where you hunt or how you hunt. I, I want to circle back to the deer cast custom part, uh, briefly, cause that is a question that I see quite a bit <clears throat> across social media or just in general, get myself, Hey, what's that C, you know, what's that little C at the top do? And <clears throat> one of the things that I've seen talked about is, well, why can't you just go in and, and individually change the, you know, each property the way you want it? Well, we we've made it so that you either can make it a more of a positive influencer or a negative influencer. We don't, necessarily want to change the algorithm. We just want to change how, how it's weighted, I guess, overall. Can you dive into that a little bit? Absolutely. We have a really high confidence level that those 13 different variables, as they pertain to the different phases in each individual area, are very accurate. Are they perhaps a little too optimistic in your area? Or are they perhaps a little too pessimistic in your area as it pertains to each phase or each time of the year? You can go in and tweak that. But if, if you started, I can re rest assured, if anyone started trying to monkey with all the different lever levers, it's not going to end very well because it is <laughs> it is amazing what small changes do to the overall algorithm. So that much I'm very confident in. That algorithm, it may be a touch optimistic or a touch pessimistic in your area, but I, I would bet the farm that it is overall accurate as it pertains to a consistent uh, prediction as to what the deer are doing. So I, I, th I think one of the underrated parts of the app in regards to deer cast and, and the prediction would be the section that says understanding your deer cast. And this is where I think, you know, look, there's all kinds of different levels of hunter out there and you, you may be, you know, the, the best hunter out there. And you, you may not need to go to the understanding your deer cast to, to see why Mark and Terry talk about a specific variable, uh, and, and dive into that for that phase and explain why it's important and, and what changes in that variable affect the deer cast prediction. But by and large, I think there's a lot that we can learn as hunters out of that information. It's just marketary sitting there. It's not some glamorous video. It's marketary sitting there talking about each weather condition for that phase that you're in. And it's actually the cool part about it is it gets weighted based on importance of that variable for that phase. So uh, can you elaborate on that a little bit more, Mark? You know, I always use clouds as a great example for that. You know, um, in the in the latter part of the season, some of my worst sits through the years, and I think pro people could probably relate to this, are those days where a heavy cloud bank comes in after you've had sun for several days. You get those heavy clouds, and if they sustain for a few days, it really does subdue the late season movement. I mean, terribly. However, that same and and you know temperatures all of a sudden don't get as cold at night. Overall, the fluctuation between daytime high and nighttime low isn't nearly as drastic. However, that same cloud bank, when it hits September the 19th, and it takes those 80 degree temperatures down, and all of a sudden they drop 20 or 30 degrees the same day, all of a sudden it's an influencer. Whereas at the end of the season, 
it really suppresses deer movement. And the algorithm catches both uh, scenarios, but they do drastically different things at two different times of the year. And I, I think that's probably a good example in the fact that you look at December deer movement versus September uh, deer movement, and somewhere in between those 13 phases in the middle part during the rut, all of that blends together. It's why we did 13, but they are drastically different in September than they are December. And then we even out that learning curve or that movement curve with the 13 phases, as well as the 13 different variables on a phase-by-phase basis. So it sounds rather complicated, but in reality, that's a simplistic look at what DeerCast does. Uh, September versus December are very different, and there's a there's a big curve in between, and we we interpret all those changes within that curve. So it's not, and this this is something I know a lot of people have have referenced that well, DeerCast is essentially just running based on what the barometer is doing. Follow the barometer, and you know when to hunt. Man, I, that couldn't be further from the truth. The barometer is one of 13 phases. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to get into the secret sauce, but it it is uh, not even one of the – well, it is one of the most important ones, but there are several that are that are weighted as heavily, if not heavier, than the barometer. That's a, a, a fair way to say that. I think what occurs oftentimes, at least when people watch it, sometimes when the barometer does a certain thing – other weather variables fall in place and they're doing similar things themselves. And therefore it feels like it's just the barometer that's making the prediction when in reality it's not, it's, it's all of those things combined together. Cause there are a lot of other weather situations approaching mm-hmm. fronts and all that type of stuff or, or what happens when the barometer is the same for 10 straight days. You know, what if you get pressure that's 29.95 and it doesn't fluctuate very much over the next seven or eight days? Well, what else is it? What else is affecting the deer movement? So it really depends on whether you're looking at a big approaching front or whether you're looking at stale air, as I like to call it, or a low pressure that's that uh, that's out there for many, many days. You still have peaks and valleys of movement, even when barometer stays the same. So how do you predict those? Well, our other variables will pick up on those. And that, that kind of gets, oh, go ahead, Mark. Does that make sense? You know, if barometer stays the same and it does during periods of the fall, it will just sit there when we don't have fresh air coming in or new air. Why are there fluctuations in movement? You know, it's not just barometer. Yeah. And that, that kind of gets to the other thing that, that people say is, well, I could get all this information in a weather app and just, just, you know, pick your weather app and you can see you essentially you have deer cast in a weather app. Well, we, we tried to, and you can go to weather apps and look, but I've not seen a weather app yet that collects all of the different variables and, and certainly some of the most important things and puts it in one screenshot or in an hour by hour fashion like DeerCast does for 10 straight days. You know, we, we worked really hard to put all of that information out so that someone who wants to dive well beyond the daily prediction and then go into the understanding your deer cast with Terry and I, all the different videos, and then look at all the weather variables variables on a day in and day out basis. You're not going to figure out the equation, but it will help you to understand what a 30 mile an hour wind does to them versus a three mile an hour wind does to them. And mm-hmm. what that what change that's going to be September versus December, you know, the rut, those types of things. Also, time of day. It's amazing to me how how different they are 
at different times of the year as to when they'll move during the day. There are certain times of the year that mornings are the key. Other times of the year that afternoons are the key. Other times of the year where it's middle of the day. And it also interprets all of those times of day and uh, spits that out for you. So it's a very complicated thing when you sit down and, and you look at how spread out the whitetail is and how they live. Uh, it can be very complicated and daunting. But, you know, Terry and I sat there for 70 combined years trying to figure it out. And we're fairly confident we have. I, I think part of the issue is that we, on purpose, we tried to oversimplify the end sure. result. Like we can't, <clears throat> we can't say... We don't know what everybody's property is going to be like. And so it's not as simple as us saying a great would be like you saw 20 deer today. A great for you on your property. I, I tell dad this all the time. Like, hey, on the lease, a great night. I saw five to 10 deer. That that may be a really great night for somebody else. One to two deer might be great. So we we tried to oversimplify it in the, in the way that it's like, okay, it's a great night. It's a good night. It's an okay. It's bad. It's poor. The, these, that way that you can interpret it to your hunt for your farm, the way it needs to be interpreted. We're simply saying these are your chances of seeing movement or not seeing movement are greater during these days or are okay during these days. An okay day is probably still pretty dang good. You know, that's the other part. It's like, when it says great, I know I'm going to try to hunt no matter what. But if it's okay, that's when the understanding your deer cast and diving into it and trying to figure out, okay, should I go hunt? Should I take the hour and a half drive up and the two hour drive back and get home late? Like that's when you got to really hone in on it and try to understand the deer cast and the prediction. And so I think in some respects, we've oversimplified it so that anybody, no matter what the level can understand what's going on. But if you are somebody that wants to really dive in to your point, the understanding your deer cast is where you can do that. And then you can learn. And that's over the, the, you know, the four or five years that we've had it, that's what has helped me the most is understanding it better. Uh, I'm not just I don't just have these talking points that I've heard you guys say over the years and regurgitate it. Like it took me putting them in practice and seeing it firsthand and where the real light bulb came off is having cell cameras and seeing, Holy crap, like deer cast is saying this and they're moving. I'm not even there. Like I, I don't even have to see it now. I see it on these cameras. That's where it really became clear and evident to me. Um, and Tim, I don't know what your experiences are because you're, you're hunting a much different style, but I think you would qualify in that like, Hey, seeing two or three deer might be a great night. Yeah. And, and I mean, uh, I live and die by the hourly. I, I love the hourly view and Matt, you and I both took advantage of that last year. We killed on the same night. We had a, like a series of poor and bad days there was it like mid-october and all of a sudden we had one day where there was a cool front coming through in the later in the afternoon i left the studio a little bit early you were over in illinois i, I think that was your illinois buck and we both we both killed that evening but like leading up to it it was you looked at the hourly it was bad poor bad poor okay but then you had this little window of time in the afternoon in heading into the evening where it was good and great. And 
And we both, you know, put the time in, organize our schedules to make that happen. And, and it really paid off. So that, that the ability to look granularly and then organize your life around that is invaluable. Well, and to take it a step further in that particular instance, and we talk about it on 13, that front it was originally supposed to be moving in like to where the last few hours of hunting, hunting light, the, the front was kind of, it was like raining really, really hard. And you know, it, I was just going over there to be able to be there for the next morning. And it ended up the, the good part about deer cast, you know, and that, that the actual forecast part of it, it is changing, you know, it's constantly being updated. So as the weather front kind of changed all of a sudden, it's like, Holy crap, you know, Scott and I grabbed our gear and we jumped in the truck to be able to make it there in time for the last two hours of the hunt that night or that afternoon. And we had an encounter with the buck I ended up killing the next day because of it. I wouldn't have been there in time for that hunt at all if I hadn't been keyed into that hourly part part of the forecast and understand exactly what was going on with it. So, I, I mean, Tim and I both have young families. Time is very vital as far as spending as much time at home as possible. So to me, I feel like my success has grown over the past few years simply because I'm paying more attention to the right variables, the right times to, to when I should spend my time afield. And that that's where it's been the most valuable. hundred percent. I would, I would uh, say this in addition to everything you guys just said uh, about your experiences there last year with it, here's a great test you can do with DeerCast because DeerCast is going to predict not only movement during the day, but it can also, if you watch it, and watch your trail cameras in hindsight can predict which nights they're going to move the best. So one exercise that I've, I've asked some guys to do that kind of were naysayers or didn't believe much about it. I said, don't believe it in terms of a forecast. I said, but screenshot it every day for 30 straight days. And then look at all of your trail cameras through those 30 days and tell me which days the deer moved the best. When you look at your trail cameras, just look through them and go, wow, they moved really well here. They moved really well here. They really moved very well here. Because oftentimes trail cameras show deer movement in an unfazed state. In other words, they don't have human intrusion out there affecting their movement nearly as much as when you're sitting there hunting. And I said, then look back after you say, you know, they moved best on these seven days. Then go look back at our deer cast for the entire month and tell me how the deer cast were on those days. It's a very good exercise. And in almost every case, they're going to come back and say, you know what? You're right. Deer cast was spot on. It is going to catch those times that make deer move, whether it be during the day or night, because the same weather is affecting them in, into the night. Although some days they're a little bit more daylight than others. So uh, it's a good exercise for naysayers out there. Check it out, screenshot it 30 straight days, and then look at your photos over the previous 30 days across a variety of cameras. And uh, it'll help you understand a little bit better about it. Because I, I had an example last year where we had a great and all the weather stuff lined up. And we only saw a couple, three deer on a field that we typically see a pile of deer on. Well, I can also see into a deep bed that's probably three or 400 yards away. It's a big overgrown field. And there was movement down there all night. I mean, they did move great. They just, the herd just didn't simply come to our field. They turned and went up the ridge and went to a different food plot up on top. And literally 
one doe took a bunch of bucks up there. And that was the difference between us seeing them that night and whoever was probably up on top seeing them that night. So yes, they moved great. They just didn't come by me. So that was a stand choice on my part, not necessarily an incorrect deer cat. And that's an interesting point because those are factors, obviously we have no control over as far as, you know, your access or neighboring act, you know, accessing their own property or whatever conditions or variables might be happening in and around. Uh, but, but I think about that often when, cause we have a group text for the 13 cast and who saw what, you know, that, that, uh, afternoon hunt or morning hunt or whatever. And I, a lot of times I sit and wonder, was it simply the lack of being in the right spot if I didn't see something and everybody else had a great night or, you know, in dad's case, if he's hunting his Missouri farm, he still does have a, a, a good size farm there in Missouri. You know, he's one guy. If you're in the wrong spot, it, it's, you know, I mean, you think this was a crappy night. It doesn't mean that they weren't on another field, you know, check those trail cameras. If you, if you question it and go, man, it did feel like it should have been a great night. I didn't see anything. Remember that date. And then check those trail cameras down, down the way and go, you know what? They did move that day. Yeah. I was just in the wrong spot. Or <laughs> I ran them out on the way in. That's, that's the thing about deer. They don't let you know you make mistakes very often. They're very good about living, you know, they're really good at it. And that's not a, like a, cover, you know, CYA kind of a reply. It's just kind of the reality of it. Like we, we just can't always predict those outside factors for you. And we just generally speaking, deer cast is made around weather variables and what, we, what you guys have felt made deer move, you know, what variables over what times of the season. So that that's in its purest form. That's what it is. It is. And it's just another, um, aid for people to take out there. You know, it's, uh, just another tool in your toolbox. You know, you still have to sit in the right spot. You got to have the right access. You got to, you know, be smart about when you're going to rattle, when you're going to call, um, all those different things. So, uh, but there are a lot of tips within DeerCast that can also hopefully help make you a better hunter. It's worth watching a lot of the videos we've got stacked into that thing. It's unbelievable how many videos are in there are in there and how many deer cast dailies are we up to now tim 700 and some oh no like, like 1300 it's a it's an amazing amount of information there's a daily article in there and if you go back and read uh some of those you'll you're bound to learn something that much i can promise you if for no other reason if you think the if you think the the algorithm stinks and you just don't believe in it there's 1,300 free articles in it, and also the DeerCast track. That's a whole other feature that is unique to DeerCast, laser-focused on making you better in the final uh, you know, hours of trying to find your animal. There's nothing else out there like it, and I would defy anybody to say that DeerCast track can't help you in most situations. Because uh, and I, the thing, one of the things I love about deer hunting is if you are open, you are always learning. Like you, you should always be learning and, and readjusting assumptions that you had and challenging preconceived notions. And it's, it's a mental game more than anything else. And, uh, and, and I know like a part of our kind of in the heart of what we're doing is we want to help people get better at their craft. Um, and, and I love the fact that we're not telling people go on autopilot, just do what DeerCast says. Like, like you said, Mark, it's another tool. Like it's there to augment the woodsman's the woodsmanship skills that you have and the knowledge and experience that you have where you hunt. 
how you hunt, it's there to, um, to, to augment and, and, and change that and make that better, not, not replace it. We're not asking anyone to turn your brains off and just do what an app says. Cause I, I'm, I'm, I think I could speak for you guys and say, you wouldn't want to hunt. You know, you wouldn't want an app just to tell you what to do and when to do it. That part of the, the mystique behind the experience is playing the game and playing the mental game, figuring all these things out. Well, I think a direct correlation to that would be, okay, say, uh, say you didn't have a piece of property. And so, you know, you, you still want, you want to be able to hunt. So you purchase an outfitted hunt each year. And, um, you, so you go somewhere, you know, they sit you in the state, they hung the stands, they, they put in the food plots and, and, uh, they're telling you where to sit. And at the end of the day, you might've killed a giant, but you're like, do I know anything more today than I did yesterday? Maybe, but the chances are you you didn't quite learn as much. And so deer cast kind of in a, in a similar way is it's there. It can, it can be autopilot for you if that's what you're looking for. But if you're really trying to learn something, there's so much information there and not just in the paid version, the free version, those articles are all free. And there's, you know, tons of posts in the social feed that are free and, and team members leaving tips and stuff. You can really advance your your overall knowledge of deer hunting and not just deer hunting, turkey hunting and, and, and just general woodsmanship skills, you can learn a lot in a short amount of time. And so it's like, all right, there's this thing that can, that easy button commercial, I can click the easy button and be on autopilot or, you know, the information in here, I could really start to dissect it and start to understand or, or learn things on my own. And that's, that, that would be a, a kind of a way to explain the app and what abilities it can have for you. There is a massive amount of information inside that app. I mean, massive. So if you, if you take the time to read through it and listen to it and watch it, it's going to do nothing but, but benefit you in the long run. Even something as simple in the free version, I believe I'm correct on this, Tim, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but on the understanding your deer cast section, there is always, cause we give you one free day of deer of the deer cast. And there's always a video that talks about the 13 phases, like that phase that you're in for your area for that time of year. And it's a compilation video of every season of 13 minus this one that's airing right now, it's a compilation video of everything that Mark and Terry have spit out about the phase itself. And, you know, each tactic that we use for that phase, like it's unbelievably informative, just, you know, seven to 10 minute video. And it's all right there for you to be able to access if you want. And, and learn, okay, the, to Mark's point a while ago, should I rattle? Should I not? Like, they're going to tell you that the times of year that, that those things work better than, than maybe other times of year, all that's just sitting there waiting for you to go through and dive into the videos. So it, it can be a lot more if you start to dissect the app and, and dive into it. Yep. Easy to use. Um, and it takes some time to master it just because of how much information is there. I, and I'll say, Mark, you mentioned DeerCast Track. My daughter, Sophie, killed her first whitetail last year. Put a The deer was quartering towards us. It was a very difficult shot. She was using the Mission Crossbow. Um, 
I don't know that she would have made that shot had we not been going over deer cast track and her understanding in three dimensions where the organs sit inside that deer. And even though she was quartering towards us, this, she hit this doe really good on a really difficult shot for, for anyone to make. And it was because she had seen the high, you know, you can toggle the exterior of the deer on or off and you can see where the bones sit and you can see where all the organs are relative to the skeletal structure. And that's, that's huge. You talk about like the best way to recover a deer is putting a great shot on it in the first place. And so for younger hunters or for newer hunters, there's just no better way for them to understand how to make an ethical shot than using the deer cast track tool. And then to see the videos in there that are populated based on where you want to hit that deer or where you did hit the deer, um, anywhere from the neck on down to the lower leg. I think one of those is courtesy of old man winner himself. Yeah. Easy. Like, <laughs> There's probably quite a few of his shots in there. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how do we get that shot? But you know, things happen and the arrow doesn't always go where you want it to. So, uh, so your cast track is really invaluable, both pre hunt and during, and especially after the hunt. I mean, there's no second guessing in the world. Like those seconds after you make the shot, you just, you want to have a second, an informed second opinion. And our guys in there, Tracker John and Bobby Culbertson, they're so captivating in their presentations. Like if you'll just take the time to move the cursor to different hits, like hits you don't want to make, you know, it's like, I really don't want to hit one here, but what if I did? And then listen to how their their knowledge of breaking down those hits and multitude of deer that they've tracked through the years with that exact same type hit. It's an amazing teaching tool, as you said, whether you be for old or young, the young hunters get very excited about it because they can move the cursor and, you know, and peel the hide back and understand all the anatomy of the deer. Older hunters go, you know, I've really never heard anybody talk about tracking in this sense. And that's why we chose Tracker John and Bobby Covertson, because the conversations I've had with them through the years, I'm like, these guys know more about tracking. They forgot more about tracking than most guys I, I run around with in circles. And I run around with some, some great hunters, but so often the attention is put on everything up to the shot and very little attention is given to everything after the shot. And in reality, that's probably more important than everything that occurred prior to that shot. So yeah. it's a, it's an incredible tool. And I, I hope anyone that, that uh, hasn't seen it would, would try it out. And, and we've talked before on the podcast about, the mythical no man's land on, on the deer. And you, you look at the diagram, you see like the, the lungs fill up that whole uh, chest cavity. They do. It's it really the, I think the no man's land comes into how many arteries did I cut or how many arteries did I not cut and how much damage and how much hemorrhage is there based on where that arrow slid through. You know, there's a huge difference difference between an arterial hit and just a straight double lung hit, or perhaps even a heart hit. That's one of the things Tracker John, we were talking about it last year. Taylor's shot in show one looks seemingly perfect. Looks like a 10 ring or 12 ring. And uh, we had a whale of a time finding that deer. And he said, you know, one of the one of the things I struggle with the most are heart shot deer. If you hit the aortic coming into it or the aortic arch, it's, you know, five seconds or less, and they're laying at 50 yards. If you don't, and you just hit the muscle of the heart, it is a far different tracking scenario that's going to be painted out in front of you. They just don't bleed as much. It takes them a little bit longer, and it's easy to misinterpret. And, and, you know, that's an inch. I always say an inch can cost you a mile. The same thing is true 
whether you're through the liver or through the stomach. Again, that's an inch. Or whether you hit the heart or the liver or the back of the lung or the liver. All of those inches as you go from shoulder towards the back of the deer often require unbelievably different scenarios in the approach on how you're going to track that deer. Well, and if you look at it, like on television, we just don't have the time to showcase a track job the way it probably deserves to be. It's just the kind of the nature of the beast 30 minute episode and, you know, all the the sponsor obligations and all the fluff that goes into it. You just don't have the time, unfortunately. So, you know, the, there's probably a real lack of teaching around tracking. And like you said, it's the most important part. You could spend all this time, money, and effort. You make the shot and then, okay, now what? I'm I'm not, what if you don't have blood? You know, that happens. You know, you want to make a perfect shot every time, but what if there's no blood? What, okay, now what? What should I do here? You know, so there's there's all kinds of tips and and tricks there from Tracker John and Bobby Colbertson that can kind of lead you down a path of trying to recover that animal. And it's finally the, the opportunity that we've always wanted. You know, it's probably... Uh, harkens back to the old VHS days where we could really dive into a topic like this and really, you know, explore it and flesh it out. Well, deer cash track, that's all those videos. I forget how many hundred something videos are in there. There's a pile. I don't know the exact number. There's, there's a few hundred in there though. Yep. Yep. Over 120. Yeah. And so all those videos were, you know, meticulously crafted together and approved by everybody involved in it to make sure we were saying the right thing and showing the right thing. Like that's an encyclopedia of deer tracking that that you just cannot get at your fingertips anywhere else. Like, you you know, you're used to calling that maybe there's a guy in your community that, Hey, so-and-so he's the man when it comes to recover, you know, tracking or hunting, or if he's the go-to guy that you lean on or your friend or buddy, well, here's another opinion for you. And, and, you know, 20 bucks to have it for a full year isn't that crazy of a, a price tag when you think about all the money and time you've invested to just get to that point. So, and, and to further your, your, um, um, comment about showing Sophie uh, the, the hits ahead of time. That's actually an email we get quite often from our consumers, grandpas or dads, or even like uh, um, uh, hunter safety courses. They show, they utilize deer cast track as a teaching tool to help new hunters understand exactly what, you know, what they mean by hit them behind the shoulder. You always say hit them behind the shoulder. Okay. What's that mean? Now you can peel away the hide and show them. So mm-hmm. that's, 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 it's just a very valuable tool in that regard. Thank you. Yeah. Good. Well, anything else we want to cover deer cast wise? Hopefully we shed some light on some of the, underpinnings underneath the app. And uh, I agree, we, we might have gotten away from the talking points a little bit over the last couple of years, but we've certainly hit on a great many of them today. And uh, just rest assured that we are ever tweaking it as well to make it more and more accurate. The more hindsight we get based on the prediction versus reality, the more accurate it becomes. And uh, we tweak it each and every fall and literally some weeks each and every day. But uh, it's all in the, in the, in the, Uh, goal to make it 100% accurate. Of course, we're never going to get there, but our goal is to uh, make it that accurate. In my opinion, it's over 90% accurate though. That's, that's where I think it's at. Heck yeah. Well, Uh, all right. Should we, should we 
dive into some teardrop a little bit before we jump into the question oh, of the day. Yeah. And yeah. You know, <clears throat> teardrop and, and we start the, the story about how one picture can change your, your life or your plans. And everybody's dreaming of that one picture, right? And I remember looking at that card because I fly through them pretty quick and I got my hand paces down where I stop and save the photo and blah, 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 I'm, I'm on. But I watch every single photo. And when he hit the screen <laughs> going as fast as it could, I almost jumped out of my chair because I've been waiting on that photo uh, literally my entire life. And even as quick as they were flying by, I was like, whoop, that's one of the best year I've ever seen in my life. And I backed it up real quick, started analyzing. I was like, holy cow, I've been waiting to see that photo my entire life. And I think we all wait for that when we look at our cards is that deer that just makes your eye, eyes pop out. And uh, Teardrop was just that. And uh, we nicknamed him Teardrop because he had double drop tines on the same side, both coming down off of that uh, that right beam. And we were like, that's a pair of tears, you know, coming down out of his beam side by side. And we called him Teardrop because they both had a little bit of a, a drop and bulby look on those early velvet velvet pictures. Uh, and of course, he breaks one of those off in velvet uh, just a few weeks later, but he still had one really long one. And the other one was a partial. Uh, but the, the story started from the fir- from that first photo, and then it, it went on and on after that. Uh, we had to make food plot changes, blind changes, access changes. You know, we went from an 80 to go, well, let's see how it does this year, guys. Hopefully this is a great performing farm for us to, this is the hottest 80 in the world, and we've got to make sure that we do our best to hunt it right and figure it out all, all at the same time. We had not ever sat it. So here are these pictures of this giant deer and we have no history, hunting history on a farm. So that was challenging to us because typically we have some hunting history with the, the spot, you know, much like you guys do, you know, and you gain that intimacy with your farms and you have a confidence level based on pictures. I think I can make a play on this guy and kill this guy. Well, we had none of that. So man, the strategy session, the strategy sessions were long and late most nights trying to figure out how to make a play on this deer and uh it turned out we we made some good good decisions and we played him right but you'll have to watch the the rest of the episode to to see exactly what i'm talking about the deep Mm. tease (laughs) that is over in the deercast news feed and in the dod tv section of deercast so you can find it in a couple different places yeah right on we'll link it over to YouTube as well. And and so, um, it's, it's like I said, I don't know, it's about a 20 minute story roughly. And it just totally captivates you for that entire time. Like there's not a a period where like, yeah, this is kind of slow. This is like fast forward through this part. It's like good deer hunting action and, you know, a a couple twists along the way with another deer. And, you know, that, that's the part that was pretty fascinating and how how that all kind of wrapped back around. So there's a lot to it. It does. I think the other thing that that story did, it really highlights Wade and Perry in there and and how important they are to everything we do here on these farms. And much like uh, Forrest is with Terry and much like Scott is with Matt, like this is not a a one one way or the highway type deal. We collectively talk about each individual deer, each individual plot, each individual strategy. And it's amazing. And I really love that. I love to be able to talk with other people get their thoughts. And then we collectively try to make a great decision that makes the most sense to, for the resource or to go, uh, you know, take a, an individual deer. And, and, and I think Wade and Perry really come out 
and you you understand just what deep thinkers they are within this as well. For as young as they are, like those guys eat, sleep, and breathe turkey and deer hunting, and and that's one of the reasons I love to go to work with them every single day. They are they are very good at what they do, and and the same goes for Forest over on Terry's farm. We are blessed with incredibly talented young men that that are as passionate about the resource in the sport as we are. Absolutely. Well, I I, I think. I think there's some teachable stuff in that piece as well. Like uh, just generally speaking, uh, some of your food plot architecture and you know, how you, how you kind of create a plot to try to incentivize movement. And there's some good stuff to be learned out of it as well. We did try to create it to incentivize movement. We also picked on the shady side of the, of the bottom because we felt like that's where they were going to come out and spend the most time. And, we had, we had a few things that we put into the overall design of that. And we took a really big, big field. There was a big destination clover field, three acres or so. And we were like, we got to get him to one end. We don't know where he's going to pop out on this thing. And uh, we put time-elapsed cameras up to find out where the movement was at without us being there. And I mean, we went to work. We, we, he had the wrong three guys after him. We just, we just didn't get it done. He still won. You know, we felt good about our plan, but it did not uh, come to fruition. It's, it's like the ultimate chess match, right? And, and, I mean, you just yeah. absolutely love hunting. So many times it doesn't happen. You know what I mean? More like often, that, that more often than not, right? Yeah. I mean, we we're always showing the highlights. It's like uh you know, everybody says the highlight to your life or it is the Instagram feed. Well, that's what TV has been for us for so long and DVDs and, and now, you know, the, the YouTube channels and deer casts, it's a, you know, it's, it's the highlights. That's just the nature of the beast, but this kind of shows a little of all. It does. It absolutely does. All right. And Timothy, should we move on to the question of the day? Another highlight of the show. Oh, <laughs> well, uh, all right. So the question of the day is probably brought to you by Cold Steel, professional knives for real hunters. Hi, this is Mitch from east of Cincinnati in Georgetown, Ohio. I know you guys use the 350 Legend a lot now, and with Ohio going from just shotguns and muzzle loaders to straight wall cartridges, I am now using a 350 Legend and wondered which the Winchester ammo you use and why the 150 grain or the 180 grain. I'm used to muzzleloader bullets and shotgun slugs and have been torn on which grain to go with for white-tailed deer here in Ohio. I shot one with a 150 grain bullet last year and was not very impressed with the results and having to use a follow-up shot with a good first shot. Thanks. I would like to hear your guys' opinions. Thank you, Mitch. Yeah, Mark, take it away. I thought I thought that's pretty interesting because it's not really the results that we had been seeing, but go ahead and jump in there. Absolutely. I shoot the 150 grain bullet, deer season XP. And uh, I think that's the same load that you're shooting, Matt. And yeah. Terry, we've all landed on that 150 just because it's a little flatter and we've had zero issues with terminal performance. I mean, that deer season XP in, in any round takes you from uh, – it, it, it takes you from – I always liken it to like shooting a, a 410 versus a 12 gauge on a turkey. I mean, it has that much more knockdown and that much more power. I mean, that deer season XP is fast to expand. It's a flat shooting round and um, I, I love it. So I'm sorry you had issues with that last year on a deer, but we have not ex experienced any of that. However, we do control our overall uh, distances. I'd say the bulk of our shots matter 150 and in yeah. uh, with that round. I did shoot one deer in Texas when it first came out at like 230 yards and I dropped that deer in its track. I hit him right in front of the shoulder and it, it, 
you know, it took him right down. I think it was 236 or 239 yards, something like that. Um, so uh, I would not, I would not hesitate uh, to continue with that round, Mitch. I mean, it's, we've had excellent luck with that, that particular round, but you can't ever, you can't ever um, forget about the fact that those straight wall cartridges, they're not center fires. Uh, I don't think they have the punch that a shotgun slug does. Um, I would equate them to a, a muzzleloader with a, a bullet like the like the bleed bullet from Traditions. You know, I think the range is probably similar. Uh, it's a little bit faster, but uh, man, are they accurate? I absolutely love it. You, you may be holding an XPR when you're shooting it from Winchester, but that doesn't mean it's a centerfire. That's not a 270. It's not a not a 300 wind mag. It's still a straight wall cartridge. So you have to be disciplined in terms of what distance you're willing to shoot. But man, you can see it in our our shots. I mean, just the, the damage that that deer season XP does is is amazing. So I am really high on the 350 Legend, and I, I like it at 150 grain. I I think you know it's the weird part about it is you do see and because we get to see so many hits a year. You know, 120, 130 from our team. It's amazing how deer react to hits. It's vastly different from deer to deer. Sometimes you think you hit them perfect and they run, you know, 200 yards or, or whatever the case may be. So I, I wouldn't discount that side of it, you know, especially you said uh, you had a, a great initial shot. So sometimes a deer's will to live is just frankly incredible, <laughs> you know, and, and that they can surprise you. But, uh, you know, for us, like Mark said, I mean, because, because the video side of what we do really 150 to 200 is kind of a, whether we're sh- shooting a 30 odd six or a, a 350 legend, you know, or muzzleloader might be a hundred yards to 150 yards. We're always trying to get a little bit of a closer shot, uh, just for video, uh, sake. So I don't know, you know, what, what experiences other guys are. I'm sure there's forums out there online that you can, can look at and check into, but from our experience and, and I mean, I've seen all the hits and Mark has as well. I don't, I can't recall in the two years or three now that we've used 350 where I've seen any negative, you know, uh, effects after the first hit. Like typically they fall right there or fall on camera for us. Yeah. I don't recall ever losing one with a 350 shot either. And that's across probably 25 to 30 whitetails. Um, like it's a, the terminal performance has been outstanding for us. So I would give it another try, Mitch, and and I like the 150. All okay. right. All right. How about that wildlife word? It's brought to you by Tracker Off-Road, Rugged Strength Meets Relentless Drives. Okay, so we talked a little bit about deer hemorrhaging when we were talking about deer cast track a little bit ago. And um, so an average 150-pound whitetail has around eight pints of blood in its system. It's estimated a deer must lose at least this percentage of blood to be easily recovered. So is it A, 35%, B, 10%, C, 5%, or D, 1%? I would think A, 35% to be easily recovered. You would have to lose, I would think, 35%. I have no clue in the world. So I'm going to go with 35% because Mark knows a lot more about deer than I do. <laughs> yeah. Good, good choice guys. So this came to us from Dan Schmidt over at deer and deer hunting. He did an article a few years back about what it takes to really put a deer down and 
how important hemorrhaging is, especially when you're bow hunting. And, and they said, yeah, 35%. And that works out to around two pints of blood for a standard 150 pound white tail. So that's, that's a lot of blood deer's got to lose to go down. And had you asked me without giving me the A through D, I would have guessed even higher than that, just based on how hard they are to find. I would have guessed 50 or greater. They're, they're, they have an unbelievable will to survive. Well, and you think about it, you know, unless, you know, we've seen some pretty awesome blood trails on a rage, you know, hit and, and where it's like, oh my God, spraying out both sides. But there's a lot of times where you see not a lot of blood as well. You know, the old muzzle loaders that we used to use uh, and that um, combo, bullet combo, like there usually wasn't hardly any blood. So, you know, it all kind of goes inside, I guess, and just kind of pulls up inside them. But, you know, you think if they're losing that much blood, you'd think you'd see more of it. <laughs> <laughs> and be a little easier to find them. <laughs> it is tough. All right. Well, anything, Mark, before uh, we let you go. I'm, so what, what currently I'm sure you guys have the majority of your food plots in as we sprint towards the, you know, kind of the end of prep and the beginning of season, what are the key things you guys are trying to accomplish? We still have some Hawk blinds to put in place We've got two more food plots that we're trying to get in. Both are new or at least an addition to an old one. There are probably, oh my goodness, 30 plus in the ground. Uh, we've got an additional 45 or 50 clover fields. We have to mow one last time, spray one last time. Uh, so we've, we've, got some, we've got some work ahead of us as we sprint towards that, that starting line, essentially. So let me ask you this. If you have a food plot that maybe you didn't catch the rain or maybe you caught a little rain, but it's, it's a lot of weeds are coming up. It's just not kind of just didn't germinate or whatever the reason may be. Is it still, is there still time to replant? And if so, would you go with something different or would you stick with what you originally planted in there? I mean, is it, we're getting to a point where it's too late to do some of the things you had planted earlier. Well, it's certainly not too late to put in Nebraska's or radishes. I mean, we're getting into, towards the tail end of that, but you're still in good shape there. And it really comes down to H2O. H2O. If we get enough rain, they'll grow very quickly. But if you get a half inch here and it's three weeks before the next half inch, no, you're not going to have enough time for that plant to, you know, produce what you want it to. At that point, you go back to those fail safes, you know, wheat, rye, um, oats, Biologic has a product that I always buy just as an insurance policy for this type of scenario. It's called winter grass. Comes up quick. You know, it can be up and deer be on it within five days. So I've planted as late as October 1 winter grass and still had good plots by mid to late October. But you got to catch the rain. If you don't get the rain, it's not going to do you any good. But if you catch a lot of rain, they can they can outgrow palatability at times. I've seen that happen. So um, I love that wintergrass product for late in the planting se sequence. Very good. I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> Taking notes over here. <laughs> All right. Well, Tim, you have anything else to add, buddy? No, just congratulations to Dennis Ferris who won the hunt with Mark and Terry this fall. So stay tuned to DeerCast uh, this October to see how his uh, his hunts go down. See what happens. It'll be November. He's coming in rifle season. Okay, perfect. Awesome. Coming in rifle. We're gonna. He's from Wichita, so he's like, 
hey, I'm willing to drive. He's retired, 32 years Air Force, so he has a, a fairly flexible schedule. He goes, I'm willing to drive. I go, all right, let's play a weather front and let's wait till we get the right weather. And Terry's fairly open. I'm fairly open. So we're going to try and make sure Dennis has a, a wonderful trip based on how the deer are acting and what the weather's doing at that time. Sweet. He's in for a ride. I tell him that. <laughs> I hope so, but uh, just so thankful for his service and uh, very anxious to meet Dennis. He seems like one heck of a a nice guy on the phone. Very good. So how many, Tim, how many people had put in for that? Was it 58,000? No, 64. 64 or 65,000. 64, 65. Very good. Good. That's, that's, and honestly, pretty good odds, really, if you think about it. I mean, that's a heck of a hunt. So I'm sure he's excited. Do you think that is good odds? One in six. <laughs> I, yeah, I do. If you think about the lottery, I mean, I'm just thinking of it in the sense of a lottery, you know, it's a lot harder to win the lottery. And for some people, this is like winning the lottery. Prize is a little bit greater. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dep- like I said, depends your point of view. I mean, yeah, this might be the, the biggest prize this guy ever, you know, could ever dream of. So I, I hope so. We're anxious to take him and uh, we look forward to it. All righty. Well, I will, uh, we look forward to seeing you here in St. Louis. We're going to have the whole clean together. So I'm sure we're going to have some shenanigans happening. And like I said, we're going to film a couple new podcasts on Friday, uh, looking out towards the end of August into September. Uh, but man, it's here. I can feel it. We're almost into the season. Absolutely. Can't wait. Thanks for having me on guys. All right. Thanks Mark. Thanks everybody. All right. Until next time. Peace out. The results are in. DeerCast said it was supposed to be a great night. Well, here you go. DeerCast said great. It doesn't exist anywhere else but in DeerCast. Hunters love DeerCast's exclusive deer movement forecast. Get ahead of your game with DeerCast.